0: today's scripture reading is from James chapter 1 verses 9 through 12. Let the brother of humble circumstances boast in his exaltation but let the rich boast in his humiliation because he will pass away like a flower of the field for the sun rises and together with the scorching wind dries up the grass its flower falls off and its beautiful appearance perishes in the same way The rich person will wither away while pursuing his activities. Blessed is the one who endures trials, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. This is the word of the Lord. Title of my message this morning is Riches to Rags to Riches. Riches to Rags to Riches. And here's the main point for us from this passage. Going to state it right out of the gun here. Lowliness leads to life while wealth wastes away. Lowliness leads to life while wealth wastes away. And let me just start with this acknowledgement. Everyone in this room is rich. Everyone in this room is rich. Now you may be thinking, Chris, what are you talking about? If you looked at my bank account, you could say a lot of things about it, but rich is not one of them. Well, Let's put this in perspective. Relative to the rest of the world, everyone in this room is rich. Let me give you the statistics to prove this. Did you know that 85% of the world lives on less than $30 a day? So if you spend more than $30 a day on your living expenses, you are wealthier than 85% of the world. If you make more than $2,138 per year, you are in the top 50% of global earners. According to the U.S. government, 11% of people in this country live below the poverty line, which for an individual is about $12,700 and $26,000 for a family of four. So if you are in the bottom 11% of the United States, you are still in the top 30% in the world. If your combined household income is more than $65,000 a year, you are in the top 10% globally. Well, The average household income in the U.S. is about 67.5, meaning that if you are average here in the United States, you are in the top 10% globally. The United States has 4% of the world's population, but 30% of its wealth. And so listen, I cite these statistics not to make you feel guilty or not to deny that some of you in this room have real legitimate financial hardships. I I am not trying to minimize that in any way. However, I want us to acknowledge from the get-go that we live in a culture of abundance. No matter your financial circumstance, you live in a culture where there is great abundance. And no matter your financial circumstance, whether you are really wealthy, whether you are below the poverty line, whether you're somewhere in between that, we all, because we are part of this culture, we hear the same messages. We all breathe the same cultural air, so to speak. We all live and are shaped by our culture of abundance together. Though we have different relationships to wealth, there is a sense in which we are together, In this culture of abundance. And so here's what I want us to do right away is I want us to drop any pretense to say this isn't for me, that James' words have nothing to say to me, that that's for the rich person over there, that's for my boss who makes a ton of money while I don't. This word from James is for all of us because we all have a a relationship to wealth in this country that can be problematic, and so I want us just to be humble before God's word this morning, no matter where we are. And so let's dive into what James has to tell us and consider this main point that lowliness leads to life while wealth wastes away. Are you all familiar with uh, the idea of a humble brag? Do you guys know that what this, this is? It's when someone expresses humility or seems to be sort of posturing themselves in humility, but really they're just trying to draw attention to themselves. Um, I, I went online and, and looked up some of the, the best sort of humble brags that are out there. And, and this one came from a celebrity. I don't remember which celebrity, but it, it's like, I still don't know what to do when people recognize me in public. It feels so weird. Must, must be difficult to be you. Or how about this one? Love is when your seven-year-old knocks your Woman of the Year award off the shelf and smashes it, and you scoop him up and tell him it's fine because the work you did to get that award is still out there in the world, and I don't need a big bronze eagle with my name on it. (laughs) Okay. Or how about this one? I've been so focused on Marvel since January that I totally forgot I like comedies from the 40s and German expressionism and Oscar Wilde. I miss my intellectual side. I promise that's not me. <laughs> See what I did there? <laughs> so James calls us calls believers to a type of humble brag here in verses 9 through 11. But but not the type that fakes humility in order to draw attention to ourselves and grab the spotlight, but boasting in actual humility. He writes, Let the brother of humble circumstances boast in his exaltation, but let the rich boast in his humiliation, because he will pass away like a flower of the field. For the sun rises and, together with the scorching wind, dries up the grass. Its flowers fall off and its beautiful appearance perishes, in the same way the rich person will wither away while pursuing his activities. So, our English translation of these verses gets the Greek accurately. We, we don't have to question whether or not this is a clear translation. It absolutely is. However, what we don't see in the English is James's sentence structure. We don't see the Greek sentence structure here. And I want to highlight that, not to nerd out, but just to, to point out what James is doing in this sentence to, in order to emphasize his point. You, you see, in Greek, the sentence order of words can be much more fluid than in English, And sometimes writers in Greek will put a word at the beginning of a sentence, sort of out of order of a natural flow, in order to emphasize the word. And so in the Greek, this sentence starts with the word boast. And it's only in the sentence one time, but it's being put at the front in emphasis. It carries sort of this energy of repetition. So, So here's the more literal sense of the sentence. It would be, boast, brother of humble circumstance. Boast, you who are rich. There's an energy and an urgency to James's statement here, and his imagery, in a lot of ways, is sort of shocking. Boast, brother of humble circumstance, which in the Greek means lowly, undistinguished one, marginalized one, boast. You with little money, you with little social status, you with little power, let that one boast in his exaltation. And the Greek word for exaltation here. It's the word that speaks of the highest place, the heavenly place, the place where God dwells. This is the same word that the Apostle Paul uses in Ephesians 4:9 to describe the place where Christ ascended. The contrast James is drawing here couldn't be starker. Let the one who occupies the lowest position here on Earth, a place of poverty, lowliness, maybe even shame and, and mar- being marginalized boast. You, if that's you, boast because you are going to be elevated to the highest place of honor and glory. Like the closest comparison we have to this, like the the, the closest image that we can sort of grab from our culture would be somebody who lives in abject poverty being moved into the White House or or someone who lived in England being in abject poverty, but then moving in to the palace to live with the king. Like, Like the contrast, the movement here is stark from the lowest of low to the highest of highs. Boast in that, James tells these believers. Conversely, let the rich boast in his humiliation. Let him boast that his riches are like the flowers and grass in the field, which ultimately dry up and would pass away. Beautiful and glorious for a moment, but fading and temporary. All that glorious work of gaining all of that wealth and all that comes with it, like that's all going to pass away. Boast in that. Like, like, it's kind of crazy when you think about it. I mean, when's the last time you saw someone post on show, social media? You know, someday me and all this wealth are going to wither away. Isn't that awesome? I, I mean, if you saw that on social media, you probably think, that's kind of a weird flex, bro, but okay. Like, like it's the, the, the idea here that James is calling somebody with all of the wealth and all of the comfort and all the status that comes with it in the world to boast and say, this stuff is just going to pass away like flowers in a field, is counterintuitive to our understanding of wealth and status. So between these two calls to boast, what is James saying? Like, What's his point here? Is he saying that to experience salvation, one has to be financially poor? That it's wrong to be rich? No. But James is drawing on some long-standing themes in Scripture that, one, highlight God's care for the poor— and the exaltation of the lowly, that is in all throughout scripture, along with the temporary and fleeting nature of wealth, and an outright warning against the dangers of wealth. And so we, we see this all throughout the Old Testament. The Psalms speak regularly of this. So Psalm 10:7 says, Lord, you have heard the desire of the humble, you will strengthen their hearts, you will listen carefully. Psalm 102.17 says, He will pay attention to the prayer of the destitutes and will not despise their prayer. That word destitute can also be translated humble. eight six says, Though the Lord is exalted, he takes note of the humble, but he knows the haughty from a distance. Then 49.16 and 17, Do not be afraid when a person gets rich. Why? When the wealth of his, or do not be afraid when a person gets rich when the wealth of his house increases. Why? For when he dies, he will take nothing at all. His wealth will not follow him down. And so you see this in the Psalms, there is this theme of God being near and taking care of the humble, but wealth passing away. In 1 Samuel 2, the great prophet Samuel's mother Hannah declares this, The Lord brings poverty and gives wealth. He humbles and he exalts. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the trash heap. He seats them with noblemen and gives them a throne of honor. You got to wonder if James didn't have Hannah's words in his ears when he wrote this. Then in a beautifully parallel declaration of praise, Mary, after hearing from Gabriel, she's going to be the mother of the Messiah, she declares this, he has done a mighty deed with his arm. He has scattered the proud because of the thoughts of their hearts. He has toppled the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. Passage after passage after passage. And we can go on and on and on. This theme, God is near the lowly. God is near the humble. He lifts them up. He exalts them. But the proud, the haughty, the one who has wealth and power in this world, God will bring low. Scripture declares this truth. And listen, while the humble and lowly are not always those who are financially poor, more often than not, Scripture is talking about those who are financially poor, or at least those who are in a desperate situation, facing some desperate circumstance where where they are kind of put back on their heels and they are sort of out of control, out of a place of power and facing difficulty that is more than they can handle. And so Scripture draws close association with the social condition of poverty and lowliness and the spiritual heart posture of humility. The spiritually humble are associated with the socially low. Why is that? Why does Scripture do that? Because the the socially low, the socially poor, they're aware of their need. Like they know they're in need. They know they're desperate. They have no pretense of power and control. There's no illusion here that they got this thing called life uh, by by the heels and and they're just going to take control and they're going to own it. Like the socially low, the lowly, they're the ones that are in tune with the fact that we need grace and mercy. We need God's grace and mercy. They are needy and they know it and they cry out to God in faith and dependence upon him. You see, James is a good biblical theologian. He knows his Old Testament. He knows his scripture. And so he uses the message of scripture about the lowly and needy and God's heart for them and how he will exalt them to encourage these Christians who are in a low position. But he also challenges the Christians that have wealth, hey, be careful because as, just as God exalts the lowly, he brings down the proud. He brings down the wealthy. It is lowly, lowliness that leads to life while wealth wastes away. But it's not just the Old Testament that James is drawing on. James is also following in the footsteps of his brother, Jesus. See, Jesus draws a straight line from the socially lowly to the spiritually lowly. In Luke 6, 20 and 21, this is what Jesus declares. Blessed are you who are poor because the kingdom of God is yours. Blessed are you who are hungry now because you will be filled Blessed are you who weep now because you will laugh. The poor, the lowly, the humble, yours is the kingdom of God. The hungry, you're going to be filled. Those who weep, you're going to laugh. The contrast from lowliness to exaltation, the line that Jesus is drawing from lowliness to exaltation is the same line that James is drawing in verse nine. Jesus also goes on to warn against the dangers of wealth just a few verses later in Luke 6. In 24 and 25, he says this, but woe to you who are rich, for you have received your comforts. Woe to you who are now full, for you will be hungry. Notice the contrast. While those who were poor will receive the kingdom of God, the rich, you already have have what you're gonna get. Those who weep now, laughter is coming for you in the kingdom, but the wealthy, like you got your comfort and wealth right now. That's the extent of it. Once that runs out, once that goes away, your comfort's gone. There's a temporariness to it. And you who feel full now, look, it's not going to last. In the end, you're going to be hungry. Lowliness leads to life. Wealth wastes away. And so why does Jesus come so hard at the rich and at wealth? Well, why, why does Jesus pronounce a woe here? Why does he warn against this? Because Jesus knows its spiritually destructive power. In Matthew 19, 23 and 24, Jesus says to his disciples, truly I tell you, it will be hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Like, let, just let that sit for a second. Is Jesus a communist? No. Jesus is not a communist. <laughs> this is not an argument for communism or socialism or whatever political, how people want to twist things politically. What Jesus is highlighting here is that wealth can be spiritually destructive. Why is it harder for a camel to go through the eye of a needle and, and that imagery is so ridiculous on its face? If you ever have held up a little sewing needle and you think of a camel, if you've ever seen a camel, it's really big, and pass through, not going to happen. Why does it make more sense for that to happen than a rich person to enter into the kingdom? Because Jesus recognizes what wealth does to our souls. Wealth numbs us to our need. Wealth can give us comfort and control and pleasure and status. And when we have those things, we don't want to humble ourselves before God, let alone anybody else. We don't want to be humble and lowly. Like We want to be exalted in this world. In Mark 4, Jesus tells a parable of a sower who, who sows seed on different types of soil. And sowing seeds is a, is a metaphor for teaching the gospel and proclaiming the gospel and the different types of heart situations that we will encounter. And so in verses 8, 18 and 19, Jesus teaches this Others are like seed sown among thorns, these are the ones who hear the word. But the worries of this age, the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. Look, the cares of this world, when we're caught up in the cares of this world, when all we can see and all we're worried about is our our sort of our day-to-day life, the deceitfulness deceitfulness of wealth, when we're, we're caught up in thinking that wealth is going to give us what we want and we're obsessed with it, what does that do? What does that do to our souls? It chokes out the word of God. I mean, if, have you ever had this thought, if I follow Jesus, it will cost me X. If I follow Jesus, I'm going to have to give up this. And when money gets involved in that, that's exactly what Jesus is talking about. In that moment, in that struggle, for, for you to say, well, I'm not going to do it, that concern, that wealth, the, the deceitfulness of wealth that's choked the word in you. It's choked out its power. You've allowed the cares of this life and the deceitfulness of riches to grab your heart more than the word of God. Jesus knows that this is the effect wealth can have. And so so listen, let, let let me be clear about something here. Money in and of itself is not evil. Money in and of itself is not evil. Scripture speaks of the righteous and unrighteous rich and speaks of the righteous and unrighteous poor. Like earning money and being wealthy in and of itself is not wrong. And look, God has gifted some of you in this room to make money, to use your talent to make money. And that is a good thing. You should do that. Working hard and earning a living and making money is not bad. And it is good for us as Christians to apply ourselves. God gave us this world to cultivate and create, and there is benefit from that. And so earning money is not what James is attacking, is not what Jesus is attacking. The problem is our relationship to wealth. Our problem is the relationship to our abundance in our culture. All of us are prone to use wealth as a means to an end. Listen, it's not really the money itself that we love, right? Like, like I don't know if any of you, like, grab your $100 bills and snuggle it in bed. Like, like, is that what you're doing? Oh, I just love my money. I mean, none of us are, like, jumping into our... our, our piggy bank or jumping into our money like Scrooge McDuck. You know, some of you know DuckTales, woo-hoo, right? <laughs> so it, it, it's not that money itself is the thing that we love. It's what money affords us. It's what money gives to us. We love, we love and desire money because it gives us things like comforts, and control and pleasure and status and even power. And look, we don't need to be millionaires or even desire to be a millionaire to chase those things. Do we not chase comfort and control and status and pleasure? And man, does does not money make those things easier to get? Is it not true we often chase those things when life gets hard, when trials hit, when we struggle and we feel out of control, we feel a lack of comfort, we feel a lack of status... Like, when those things that we desire start to feel like we don't have them anymore, do we not try to double down and grab them? And man, money sure does help. When we feel less than, we feel less than, man, I want to gain some status, maybe even a little bit of power. Money sure does help with those things, does it not? Like the temptation and the lure of wealth, it is all around us. And in a culture of abundance, it looms large no matter your financial circumstance. There's always the sense that we live with that money is the solution to our problems, that more wealth, more comfort, more power, more control, more pleasure. But at what cost? At what cost? at the cost of being shaped by the world and not by the gospel, at the cost of faith and godliness and obedience to Jesus, at the cost of chasing things that are temporary and fleeting and ultimately fragile rather than chasing things that are eternal? Like at what cost do we chase abundance? At what cost do we give ourselves, do we turn working hard and earning a living and and using the gifts that God has given us, at what cost do we then turn and make those things about ourselves? This is why James, this is why James tells the rich, boast in humiliation. He he tells them this because he is trying to get them to to create separation from what they hold in this world, to, to, to hold their earthly wealth loosely. And all that it brings with it, hold that stuff loosely. He's saying you should think of yourself, if you want true riches, then you need to go from riches to rags to get true riches. There needs to be a humility, a humiliation here, where you see that the things that wealth gives you are ultimately not life. And look, if you're wealthy, if you have money, to any any extent, extent to where you have money and financial stability, this is going to be a temptation. Like Biggie was right: more money, more problems. Like the more money you have, the more this is gonna be a temptation to find your identity in, you find your sense of control and status in. Like swimming in a culture of abundance and having all those things, can you still see your need? Do you still have a heart posture of humility that you need mercy and grace, that all that you have is a gift of God and if he were to take it from you in an instant, would you still say, I have Jesus and that's all I need? Like, is your heart postured in such a way? Or have you allowed the world and the cares of this world and your relationship to your wealth choke the word in your life? Is your heart posture as one who is poor and is humble and is needy? C- can you say, like, look, this is all just going to pass away. Isn't that actually awesome? Because when it passes away, what glory is going to be revealed? The glory of Jesus. And that's what I want more than anything else. Like, encounter, as counterintuitive as this is, is this your heart posture? Like, this is going to pass away. No big whoop. And does your life actually reflect that boast? Because it's one thing to say, yeah, but, but secretly knowing, well, hey, I hope, I hope God doesn't actually put, put me to the test there. But is this the posture of your life? Does the way that you spend your money and your relationship to your money reflect that, that you can boast in a humiliation? Or, or do you despise lowliness? Like you do everything you can to stiff arm lowliness, to keep it away, keep that sense of humility away. And there are a lot of reasons why we may do that. But is that the posture of your heart when it comes to your wealth and your possessions? But also for you who don't have as much or, or you who are lowly, you who sort of feel that sense of, of being marginalized or, or there's a sense of like, I, I don't stand out, I don't have a lot of control, I don't have a lot of status, like, like there's just this sense where I, I'm, I feel less than. Like in your position, Do you desire more wealth? Do you desire more status? Do you desire more control? Do you desire more pleasure? Like like those of you that are facing financial hardships, not because you're lazy or you've been acting a fool, but because like economic forces are just big and sometimes they can just hurt. Like those of you that are in that situation, what do you put your hope in? What do you long for? Like, are you okay with being lowly and humble? Are you okay having to depend upon the Lord? Or do you have an envy for what other people have? Can you boast in your exaltation that is not of this world? Can you put a hope in an exaltation that is not of this world? Or do you want the exaltation of this world? Do you despise your lowliness and your humility? Knowing full well, Scripture says God is close to the humble and the lowly. Is that enough for you? Is that your hope? Is that your comfort? James wants you to put your hope in a greater exaltation. James doesn't want you to despise your lowly station. He wants you to see that God is at work in that. God is near, and at the right time, God will exalt you to the highest place of honor, seated with Christ. And so if we find ourselves despising lowliness, if, if we're struggling to to, to want to actually walk in this posture of humility. Can can, can I remind us of the gospel? Can I point to us that why we do this is something great and profound? Can, Can I remind us that Christ, who is the high and exalted one, the son of God, the one who dwelled in unapproachable light, he came down to this earth, and when he did, who was he hanging out with? Like, where did you find the Messiah? Did you find him hanging out in the White House or the State House. No, if you were going to find the Messiah hanging out, go to the construction sites. Go where the lowly, the average, the ones who are seen as unremarkable are. That's where our Savior went. That's who he identified with. And so listen, if you're here this morning and you think I'm just an average person, who am I? I'm just kind of your run-of-the-mill, average, ordinary, nothing special about me. Hey, guess what? Jesus identifies with you more than he does with the rich. Because when he came... He came as one who was average and ordinary. And so listen, our Savior, when he came, he came lowly. He did not despise lowliness and humility. He embraced it. In fact, 2 Corinthians 8, 9, as we profess this morning, tells us, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich for your sake, he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. Jesus willingly took on lowliness. He willingly took on humility and poverty all the way to the point of dying on a cross so that through his poverty, his humility, his loneliness, we could experience forgiveness and freedom and life and joy and peace and strength and renewal in this life and one day to be exalted and to be seated with him on the highest place. And, church, this is our ultimate boast. Well, we don't humble brag going, I'm all lowly now, but just wait till my exaltation comes. Like, we're not humble bragging in that way. We're boasting in Christ. Christ is our exaltation. The exaltation James is pointing to is an exaltation we have in Jesus because of what Jesus has done. And so we celebrate what Christ has done. We celebrate what we have in Jesus. We have everything we need when we have Christ. And we're going to be exalted with him, seated with him, That's our hope, church. And so you may be lowly now. You may be humble now. You may be marginalized now. You may be all the things that this world looks down on now, but in reality, you're exalted with the king of the universe because of what he's done for you. And he did that. How did he do that? By becoming lowly, by becoming humble, by reaching down into the muck and the mire of our worlds and being struck down on a cross but to be raised again in victory and to save us. And so this is a glorious exaltation we have because of what Christ has done. And this is where James ultimately lands in verse 12. Blessed is the one who endures trials because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Like, we boast because we have riches. We have a wealth that's not going to waste away. We have a crown of life, a crown of eternal life. That crown is not going to waste away with the wealth of this world. It is going to last forever. And listen, listen. Like, we may be tempted to think that lowliness in this life is weakness. And that you will find people who will try to tell you that, even Christians, I see this all the time on social media, and this is why I shouldn't go on social media. But we see this all the time, people trying to equate lowliness and humility with weakness. And here's what I want to tell those people. I want to tell them, oh yeah, you come into my office with me and you sit with these saints that I sit with who are struggling and, and who are facing deep and intense trials, and they are holding on by a thread, trusting the Lord, humbling themselves, and through that, God is maturing them and strengthening them. That's not weakness. That's not weakness. That is a strength of character born by the Spirit. Don't tell me people who are humble in the face of trial are weak. That takes a strength of character. And so weakness is not, is not or excuse me, humility It's not moral weakness. The one who endures trials, like to endure a trial, to endure a marathon, that's not weakness. That is strength. But that strength comes through humility. It doesn't come through our own strength. It comes when we humble ourselves. And so listen, don't buy the lie. Don't buy the lie. The humility requires weakness, or you just sort of roll over. Because listen, the humility required to stand faithful to God, humble yourself before the Lord, when the world is doing everything it can to get you to bow the knee, that is a humility of deep strength. And so when the world is telling you to compromise your faith, Chase all of the wealth and chase all the comfort. Look look at all the things on offer to you in this world. You don't really need Jesus. You don't really need to be faithful or you can just be faithful a little bit. Or how about this? If you are faithful, we're gonna start withdrawing things from you. It might cost you financially. It might cost you socially. It may push you to the margins where you feel more and more like that lowly person who's sort of on the margins of the society. That may be happening more and more and is happening more and more. In that response, what are we going to do are we going to throw in with the world? Or are we going to be humble before our God, knowing in him there's an exaltation? Are we going to be humble before the wealth and abundance that God's blessed us with, putting our hope ultimately in Christ? Or are we going to allow the abundance to choke out the word, church? Let us heed James's challenge here. Let us heed his hope and his challenge. Let us boast in the exaltation we have in Christ Let us boast in the humiliation that all of this American dream that you and I experienced, that's going to fall away someday so we can experience an even greater glory. Let us boast in that. Let us boast that through Christ we have a crown of life. In Christ, lowliness leads to life. Wealth wastes away. Let's pray.